And any, you know, anyone who has a long-term or a, you know, a several month long injury or break from running feels that as well. And I think about too, about how my like ability to dream again had to also be be rebuilt. And I think that's because I, I mean, I think if you asked me in like November, like what are your goals for a spring track season? I'd be like, just finish one. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Kinesis. It's sunscreen, just better. May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and given that skin cancer runs in my family, I'm proud to partner with and share Kinesis with you. Now that I'm up in the mountains of Colorado, skin care and sun protection is more important than ever, especially with summer just around the corner. Their sunscreen spray makes application simple, and there's no scent or fragrance either. It's different than any sunscreen you've tried, and so light you won't even feel you're wearing it. This episode is brought to you by Super Coffee, the healthy, delicious alternative to sugary coffee drinks. Super Coffee was recently named the fastest growing food and beverage brand in America by Inc. Magazine, and after tasting a bunch of their flavors, I can see why. Their coffees contain zero sugar, and many of them contain 10 grams of plant-based protein. They're growing in popularity in the running community, and I'm excited to share a special discount with you. They offer a 60-day money-back guarantee, meaning if you don't love it, you get your money back, no questions asked. Grab 15% online with the code FTLR or look for them nationwide in 25,000 stores like Target, Whole Foods, Walmart, Kroger, and CVS. Cheers. Welcome back. I have Nikki Long joining me on the podcast today. Nikki, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Cool. Thanks for having me. For sure. So you are Nikki Noodles on Instagram. So who is uh, who is Nikki Noodles or Nikki Long? Yeah. So um, Nikki Noodles is a childhood nickname that stuck with me well into my thirties um, from my parents. I think I was a, a noodly small child, but Nikki Long is basically just a, a girl with a dog and a truck and a passion for finding meaning and adventure in the world. So. That's that's who that is. <laughs> I love it. I see your dog behind you, and also on your wall yes. is is the is the photo on the wall. You're also your dog. Uh, it is. It's his self portrait. <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> he took it himself. Yeah, he he painted it himself. That's beautiful, perfect. <laughs> um, so, given that this is a a running podcast, and I love what you said about exploring an adventure and um, having a truck and all that good stuff, um, we'll dive into that mm-hmm. too. I'm sure, but. Um, let's sort of set the stage with with you as a runner. Um, you run for Raleigh Distance Project uh, competitively. Yes. Do you remember your mm-hmm. first run? Ooh, um, I remember my first, well, I remember one of my first races. I won the district mile in third grade. And I remember just like running really hard 
And then suddenly the girl in front of me stepped off the track and suddenly I was leading. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to win. And and the rest is history. So ever since third grade. Third grade. Just kind of at it. Third grade phenom to uh, to elite elite running. I love it. That's mm-hmm. not much in between there, right? Just that was the, right. that was the trajectory. It's, it's just 20 years. Just, yeah, it happened so fast. Great. Well, this has been the fastest podcast I've ever had. This is fantastic. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Um, so, so jokes aside, um, you win the third grade, um, you win that mile in third grade. Mm -hmm. Did you have the, you know, the, the thought like, Hey, I'm good at this. Or was it just like a, Hey, I'm out here for fun. And that was fun. Yeah, I guess, um, I have an older brother who was also running. And I think when I was younger, there was a lot of anxiety about doing sports and, and I was pretty shy. So like being on a track and everyone can see you running the whole time. I didn't really like that very much when I was younger. Um, and then by, I think by the time I got to high school, coaches, my coaches in high school started moving me up and saying like, you got to run with the fast girls now because you could run with them. And that's kind of when I started to feel like I could be competitive and became just a better, more concentrated, focused runner on, and really understanding the sport more and what it did for me um, at the time and still today. So very cool. It's like the progress. My my coach has told me to start running with the fast girls too, so I I can, <laughs> can relate to really? that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so you moved on up in high school, um, running mm-hmm. with with the faster crowd. What did what did collegiate running look like for you? Yeah, so I I ran at Boston University and did five years there. Did my fifth year there as well, uh, and I. I don't think I ran great in college um, looking back. And I think at the time I really imagined it as being like the only time I could devote in my life to like, to be competitive in running. And once I graduated, it was like downhill, like this is the end. um, So I don't know what to do after that. And I quickly found that to be not the case. (laughs) So if you're listening and you're in college and you think it's the end, it's not. Um, It gets better from here. And it, it really does get better because you can just make make what you want from it and so much more. Um, so college was kind of, it was a good, I loved being on the team and I loved going to BU. Um, I just, I don't think I ran super well when I was there compared to kind of where the progress up to that point and then the progress after that point. Got it. Um, so I recently moved to Colorado, but for five, six years, I lived right around the corner from BU. Um, so I'm, right. I love, and I'm from Colorado actually. We just so. did a swap. <laughs> where, <laughs> exactly. where in Colorado are you from? Fort Collins. Nice. Mm-hmm. What were your go-to routes, uh, in Boston? Ooh, in Boston, probably muddy river, like Jamaica pond. Um, and then obviously like by the Charles, but only in like good warm weather, <laughs> never in the winter. Too windy. Uh, way too windy and cold. Um, kind of heading out to like the BC res. We had a few routes out through those like new neighborhoods and stuff nice. that we like to do from, from campus. I moved from the BU area to Beacon Street, so super far away. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. uh, last May, and so the Muddy River became my like go-to for anything, you know, six to mm-hmm. nine miles long. And then I I love a good uh, Beacon Street to Calm Ave loop through Newton. Uh, you just yeah. you can't beat that. Um, mm-hmm. So you ran collegiately for five years and now you're with Raleigh Distance Project. Uh, yes. How did that, and first, 
Um, can you explain what what is the Raleigh Distance Project for those who haven't heard the yeah. three or four other episodes I've done with uh, RDP <laughs> athletes? Sure, the Raleigh Distance Project is a five hundred one three C nonprofit uh, elite women's distance team in based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so currently, we have seven people on our roster, and we're a team devoted to. Uh, Really, like our mission is high-level competition, community engagement, and um, creating a, a safe and open space within the sport of running. And the, I guess it's almost been it'll be our four-year birthday this later this year. So we've been established for four years. And I came on. I've been with the team for maybe a year and a half. So I've came on. I'm not one of the originals. Um, kind of one of the benefiters of the formation of the team. Very cool. And what was the process like of uh, joining the team? Yeah, they had a year and a half ago, they had an application process. So on the website, there's a form to fill out. um, And I filled it out and they were accepting new athletes at the time that I joined. And then they picked me and a few others. We had kind of all, they brought four of us on board at the same time um, when they expanded the team about a year and a half ago. What is it that um, you wanted to get from the team? I was looking for a group of women to train really hard with um, and a sense of team. I had, so between college and when I moved here to Raleigh, I had trained on my own. I had trained with what used to be New Balance Boston is now Battle Road Track Club. Um, Had trained with them for a few years when I lived in Boston and then was training on my own for a number of years. And I... Just, just being in the sport and being and moving and having a, a common goal of improvement was something that, like, really draws me to the sport and keeps me in the sport. And finding the Raleigh Distance Project, um, kind of checking all those boxes, as well as having this like just this huge community, like support and engagement was just like awesome. Um, And so I kind of, I mean, I also moved here and I didn't have any friends um, at all. I didn't know anybody in Raleigh. So uh, obviously I first looked for running friends um, and then kind of found out about them. So got pretty excited about that. Cool. What do you want to, what do you want to bring to the team? What's, what, what would that goal be? Yeah, I think, um, so I'm, I'll be 31 this year and I, I feel like I have, uh, I'm going to sound like an ancient person. I feel like I have experience that I, that younger runners and younger athletes and people like right out of college, like, like I feel like I have experience that I would like to share with younger generations and whether that's like, you know, how to show up at practice or how to like, you know, run a track race or get into a track race post collegiately, like all of that struggles of like maintaining and competing in the sport. Um, I feel like I can bring some of that to the team um, as well as, just like, I think there is like a, a desire to expand, um, like the diversity of our team as well. And I think that's something that a lot of us are, are pushing for right now and making some changes internally to, to focus the team on some of those, uh, issues within the running community as well. And that's just like a, a personal passion, um, an important factor in, in, in what I see is like moving forward in the running community. For sure. Well, as a mm-hmm. fellow person who's about to turn 31 this year, I wanted to stop you when you were saying uh, older runner because we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's true. I know. It's, yeah. But ten, like, you know, those 10 years after college and now, like, 
I, I feel like there's times when I'm like, what am I doing? Do I want to keep doing this? I don't know. Like, I wish I could ask somebody like who has done this to like figure out what's the benefit of, you know, making sacrifices for the sport or for competing. Um, and, and there's just like those types of things, just not feeling alone, like really just like not feeling alone in that. And that that's like a common thing for an athlete who's always identified as an athlete of like, how do I like mesh that with like all the other parts of my life and still do that? So, so how do you do it? Um, you wake up really early (laughs) (laughs) and you get your running. Um, I feel like, um, so I'm a, a graduate student, a PhD student at NC state right now. And since I've also worked full time after college, so I I've have the, you know, the schedule of the very early morning run workout um, and just squeezing things in here and there. But I think it is a lot of balance. And I think that the, there's things that on short term you can sacrifice for your performance or for your goals um, that in the long term, you're going to look back and you're like, why did it, why did I make such a big deal about that? Or like, you know, um, just like small things like that. And I think it's just about finding a balance. I, I've taken a lot of running breaks and in which I've done, gone and done other things. Um, I have through hike two long distance trails. Um, just, uh, I do archeology span field work and that requires me to take time off as well. Um, it's just like the schedule and the physical nature of the, of the work is just too much for me to be like happy doing both. Um, so it's kind of like picking and choosing and it's, it doesn't have to always be in one basket, I guess is kind of the, the point there is the balance. Yeah. Um, I had Mary Johnson on the podcast and she talked about sort of looking at it via seasons and some seasons it's one mm-hmm. way, some seasons it's another. She talked about it related to motherhood and work and injuries mm-hmm. and all sorts of things that like you can't be a hundred percent at one thing all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's a healthy perspective to have a lot of people, when I ask them specifically about balance, they either say it's overrated or they're doing what's meaningful to them right now. And that will Mm -hmm. change. And that's, you know, it ebbs and flows. Um, so I think that balance with balance is, um, is important too. You mentioned something that I found interesting. You said, you know, why am I doing this? Why does it, you know, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. This is an exploration I had with uh, Stephanie Howe on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I told her, like, I was running down the street one day and I was like, why the hell am I doing this? Like, why do I go for a run every day and then post about it on Instagram and then do it again tomorrow? Like, <laughs> what's the point? Um, mm-hmm. And so we dove into a bit of a, an exploration of it on that podcast. And my, you know, TLDR version of it is... I love the process. I love sharing the process and looking back and getting mm-hmm. better. Like today I did a hill workout that had reps that I failed previously. So three minutes at altitude, um, mm-hmm. like not max effort, but I don't know, 85%. And I ran out of gas the first two times I did this workout. And today I did more of those long reps faster to completion, same hill, same legs, same, you know, mm-hmm. similar workout, but today I did it right. and that's fucking awesome. Like, that's what I love about mm-hmm. the sport. And, and that's the meaning I choose to add to my own running. Um, mm-hmm. and whenever someone's like in that, like, why does it matter? What is it? I always, like, I had a friend who messaged me. She was like, I'm struggling with my why I'm training for a race. 
It's a hundred mile race. Uh, how do you explore your why? And I was like, well, I've got a podcast. Do you want to come on and talk about it? So she's coming on next week yeah. to talk about that exact question. Um, so I love asking this question to people who are either consciously or subconsciously thinking about it. Um, so my question to you is, why do you do it? Why did you go for a run mm -hmm. today? Or why are you going to go for a run today? Why is the, the watch that's on your wrist a, a Garmin versus a, <laughs> you know, a, a nice um, silver watch? That's definitely, the why is, is really important, I think, if you're going to keep training in this sport. Like, if you've been a, you know, a collegiate runner or ran in high school and you want to keep competing, you do have to figure out your why, right? Like I don't make any money doing this. I, you know, we have sponsors and we have a lot of support from the community for the team, for RDP. Um, and I don't do it for that. That helps me do what I do. It helps us do what we do. Um, but I think a lot about, for me, I always come back to the idea of like movement. Um, because when I take, when I take a break from running, it's, it's usually to do like something else very active, um, with a different or, well, maybe it's not that different, or a, a different physical purpose, right? Like I'm not uh, doing running anymore. I'm hiking a trail or I'm working on a project or um, those types of things. And just the idea of um, that like movement, I feel helps me to understand the world around me. It gives me a space to like think and to brainstorm, to process. Um, but it also gives me a time when I can shut everything else out when I don't want to think and brainstorm and process and focus on a singular task that I can accomplish in that moment. And I think that's like, for me, that's the why it's like, I can either like bring it all with me on the run and like tumble it around, or I can be like, Nope, this is like, this is my singular focus. I need to practice this one focus. And I find that that's like this idea of focus too is like, is applicable to like, I think literally everything in life, because if I'm sitting here and writing a paper for school, I need to have a singular focus to like get through that assignment. Or if I'm um, doing some, you know, menial task that I'm just, this is boring, but I have to do it. Like having that like focus um, and being able to complete something and to have success in that is like just getting your workout done and hitting your splits. Like that is just like such a pickup for the day and for yeah, on the way to your whatever race you're training for. Yeah, I love that. It it's a vehicle to understand yourself or or navigate mm -hmm. what else is going on. A couple of years ago, my chiropractor Brian Kent, um, who's who also dabbles as my therapist <laughs> when when I'm laying on the table. Um, <laughs> all. Yeah, right. Um, picked up on basically. He basically said. I was using running in the exact way you just described it. Um, mm -hmm. And because I was going to therapy, I was leaving like everything else outside of running and just running for running's sake. And I think that when you can have that focus of I'm just doing this one thing for me right now, it can be so powerful and, and it brings structure to the rest of your day. And mm -hmm. I think when, when you acknowledge this component, you can choose to, make running a non-negotiable because it makes everything else better. And mm -hmm. that's the context that you need to have, I think, to be able to put it first because people are like, oh, I run, I'm selfish, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. You're you're selfless. You're doing something for yourself 
that allows you to show up in a better place. So I'm guessing you're mm-hmm. one of the people who who you wake up early in the morning because getting that run in is a is a cornerstone of your day and you're a better person mm-hmm. because of it. Is that a is that a correct assumption there? Yeah, I would say that's like absolutely true. There's there's definitely been times when when I think, oh yeah, like like when I stop competing at a high level what am I going to, how am I going to start my day <laughs> kind of question? Like, I guess, do I just drink coffee and read the newspaper? I was like, I have to find, I mean, <laughs> obviously I can still run in the morning. It's I do that, but then like, I go out for I a won't run. I run at all, but <laughs> right, exactly. I was like, maybe I'll have more time because I won't have to do a specific training plan or a specific run on a certain day. Um, so I, I definitely think that I'm a person who that morning run is like, is yeah, the golden hour of of starting a good day and it's, you can wake up and be grumpy as hell, get your run in and come back and feel like a totally different person and your day feels half over and it's seven 30 in the morning <laughs> and, and you're, you're just your hands off and you're ready to take on the world. For sure. Thanks again to Kinesis sunscreen for supporting this episode. Everything from the ergonomic bottle to the ingredients they include and also leave out have been developed specifically for those of us who love to stay active and be outdoors. Available in select retailers and online, grab a 15% discount with the code FTLR and step up your sun protection game this spring and summer. Visit them at kinesisactive.com. That's K-I-N-E-S-Y-S active.com. Thanks again to Super Coffee for supporting this episode. I have been loving their French vanilla and hazelnut flavors and the cold brew cans. Super Coffee combines the caffeine from two cups of coffee with protein and healthy fats to give you hours of focused energy with no jitters or crash. I love it as a strong start to the day. Receive 15% off of your purchase at drinksupercoffee.com FTLR or use the code FTLR at checkout. I recommend trying one of their variety packs or bundles. If you give it a try, let me know what you think. And now back to our conversation. You mentioned you're in a, in a PhD program at NC State. Um, what is what what is the PhD in? It's in biology with a concentration in forensic anthropology. So if you've ever seen the TV show Bones, uh, she's a forensic anthropologist. So that's exactly what my life is like. Super hot FBI agent in everything. Uh, lots of the, the technology is all there. Um, it's exactly like real life. So. <laughs> cool. And how does the PhD process compare to running? What where's where's the carryover between running and life in the educational perspective from the educational perspective? Yeah, I would say I mean it's definitely a long process, right? It's 4 to 5 years of kind of one singular focus on a research project. Um that's a major research project um that you do. Um, but there's also going to be like the little milestones that you have, have to hit along the way. Right. Um, and I think about like, I mean, your classwork and your coursework, they're kind of like little workouts because you learn like the ins and outs of all the topics that you need to master your overall topic. Um, and that's kind of like what running workouts are. You're just practicing running fast for a while and then you take a break and you run easy. So those are like, kind of like the balances of, of being in academia and, and, uh, in training, like running training, um, you're just working out your brain muscles all the time, like all the time, but, um, but just enough to, to, you know, end up as just a master of your topic. I love that. I, I think that the, 
affirmation or a reminder of the process. Like it's four to five years. We're thinking long term. We're we're mm-hmm. using these little check ins as data points, but they don't. Like I say, they don't matter. But they the sum of them matters for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just like a race. Like you cannot draw validation or um, affirmation or whatever from one of these single data points. But at the end of Mm -hmm. this four to five year period, you've done something pretty freaking sweet, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that culmination of everything up until the big race day. Right. Um, And it, to me, it really has to be about the process because the process is really long. (laughs) And, and, and then once you get, you know, once you graduate and finish your project and hopefully do some, you know, something to small to change the world, then you take that on to the next thing. And the next thing you work on is better. So have you always been able to follow that approach to running or has it, have you ever been pretty focused on numbers and metrics and hitting splits and that kind of stuff? I would say I'm definitely like a science data person. So I feel like I am focused on numbers and splits, but I I think that's like more of a microcosm rather than like looking at that more big picture of, of how many days did I miss my splits. Um, I give myself a lot of grace in that regard. And I think that's because at times when I was training alone, I would compare to previous results or previous workouts and say, well, last time I did this workout, I did it, you know, two seconds faster a rep and I had less rest and like that typical, just like internal comparison. Um, and just having to step back and say, that's not where I am right now. I'm here. I'm not there. And me being here, I need to do the things and meet the, meet the standards that I can meet now. Um, and that's, I think like in school too, I think that sometimes where I'm like, this is, I put a lot of work into this project or presentation or, you know, things that you turn in for class or you turn in for publication and working on those, um, Sometimes it's harder to get those things done and um, or you're, they're not as interesting as the thing you want to be working on um, or the data didn't come out right. And so you don't get to say what you want to say. And so the, that's just kind of the, uh, I guess, the gist of, of the, yeah, the self-comparison. <laughs> I've definitely been there and I, I just, I think I just got sick of it and it was exhausting and I just like refused to do it anymore. Um, and I'm just like, I'm just like, I am where I am. Like, <laughs> take me like, this is me. Like I can't do anything about it and I can just keep, keep working at it and, and keep looking ahead rather than looking back. So, so as a 30 year old runner who has gotten to the point where you're focused on the process because of the experiences you've had in the past, like, do you, I had a goal of running sub three for four years and I didn't, I didn't run sub three until I stopped caring about running sub three. And Mm -hmm. if you had told me when I was 25 to stop caring about running sub three, I would have said, shut up, let me do what I want. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to run, I'm going to do this and like be way too cocky in my fitness. Um, I don't know that I, I could have gotten to where I was without, um, failure, missing it. I don't know. Um, and so I'm always like torn between, like I think that just hearing this over and over and over again for those people who are stuck in that I need to hit this I want like my this is my goal I define myself as this like they either mm-hmm. need to keep failing at doing it or hear it enough from other people 
like yourself, mm-hmm. or like the forty seventh time I've told that story about you know running <laughs> running sub three on this podcast. Um, and I think it it's like as you said, like you're not alone in this process, and so many people deal with the same crap that that everybody else deals with. And so I mm-hmm. I don't know if it's helpful to hear it or not, but um, or I don't know how I would have responded hearing this conversation five years ago, but, um, mm-hmm. I'm right there with you on the, on that progress with the process. Right. And I think that too, it's like, it's not only about hearing it, but I think it's also able to like, you have to be able to talk about it too. And I find that if I am able to find words that express exactly how I'm feeling about something to somebody else, that is like a huge thing. So if, if I'm, and I'm lucky to have, you know, a group of teammates that I run with pretty frequently, uh, that are at similar places in their training, you know, doing similar training. Um, and I can say, Hey, I've like, I felt really bad and like, really like not very confident in these last workouts. And then they say me too. Like even like that kind of reaffirmation of like, well, look at like, look at what you did. You did that like way fast. It was hot. It was, you know, like kind of just like reaffirming that, like, just because you were a few seconds off or you weren't exactly where you wanted to be, you're still, you still did it. That you can't change that at all. For sure. Yeah. I think the reminder of that is definitely important. Um, is gratitude something that you intentionally practice as part of all of this? Um, gratitude in like, in the, like what way? However you want to define it, whether it's like <laughs> today I was, easily. today I was, my gratitude was, I'm thankful. I was actively thinking about being thankful that my long reps were at the beginning and not at the middle or the end. Oh yeah. But like it, it can, it can be something like insignificant or in the moment it was significant, mm-hmm. trivial like that, or I'm grateful for health or whatever, like some sort of mm-hmm. like physical practice where you write it out or whatever. Right. I think I always like to start sentences with I think because I usually say I think and then, and then think. I say I think a lot actually <laughs> yeah and then um but I actually I mean I am a person who who spends a lot of time in their mind and and thinks about things rather than like saying things or like think about things before I say them um and I for gratitude I I last year last year I was very very injured <laughs> and I think the gratitude that I practice now is is really to do with with health and fitness, just being able to go for a run with my friends every day is like absolutely amazing. I um, herniated a disc in my lower back and needed back surgery last summer. So I had a pretty crummy year last year (laughs) overall with the pandemic and uh, back surgery and um, all of that. So just the gratitude to, to still be able to move is like totally not lost on me. Um, and I don't think it ever will be after, after that and a few previous injuries too, but definitely after, um, just kind of the last year, like I mentioned before, like movement, just the idea of movement. I can't imagine my life without it and super fortunate to like have realized that, to have experienced that enough in my life to realize how important that is to me and how quickly it can be changed. (laughs) For sure. Talk to me about the injury process in 2020 and more importantly, the recovery process. What was, I also went through an injury at the beginning of 2020 and I came back as the Mm -hmm. pandemic was starting. Um, and the timing like could not have been better. 
So I'm, I'm curious to hear your story there and uh, how you used movement as a way to cope and survive 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was at first it was bad timing and then it was really good timing, I think, because um, things started to shut down in March. And then at the end of April, I started to have pain in my lower back and kind of took a break. And we kind of were like, well, nothing's happening. Like everything's still shut down. It's fine. Um, but that was really the first month and a half of the pandemic was how like, like running was how I kind of was able to kind of deal with the stresses of the unknowns back then. Um, and so missing that was kind of, was a pretty big deal at the time. And that was like one of the things that I like, besides being like, this actually physically hurts, like that's annoying. Um, the other thing was like, how am I gonna like, I, I mean, I have a dog, so I take him on a walk. That's fine. I can do that. But just losing that space and that like processing space um, was difficult at first. Um, and then it progressively got worse and worse to the point where I really couldn't stand or walk for longer than a minute or two at a time um, and very quickly got that bad um, at the end of June. And at that point, most things, you know, everything in the fall had been canceled. So I was really not concerned with like when my next race was going to be, I was concerned with like, let's get this surgery and get feeling better. Um, and then I would say like, from there on out, timing was like perfect. Like if there was ever any time to like throw my back out and get back surgery, it would be <laughs> the summer of 2020. Um, Cause like nothing was happening. I had no responsibilities. The time from my surgery to when classes started again was like perfectly aligned and kind of was able to, uh, I mean, most classes, everything was virtual um, in the fall. And so it was just like, I didn't have to go anywhere or be anywhere. And I couldn't go anywhere and be anywhere. So it was kind of like a a good combo of where like, I wasn't missing out on anything, really. Um, And then building back fitness up in the fall, I think, we kind of were hopeful, I guess the beginning of the year, we were hopeful that things, and, and this has been the case, you know, more, there's way more track meets and events happening now as things are improving in, our, in the country and, um, and everyone's getting vaccinated and all that great stuff. Um, and the timing, I think, was just really good for, for the where I was in training and coming back from that as well. So it, at first it was like, this is the worst because I, I need to run right now to turn into like, well, I can't run at all. And this is what I need to do for my body. And so it was like kind of a mental shift of like, how do I get through this and back to running really fast to be like, I, this is what I need to do. And I need to do this the right way so that like, I don't go through this process again, or I don't hurt myself again. I need to strengthen everything to support, um, to support my body. For sure. Talk to me about the return to mm-hmm. running. I started running one minute and then walking for four minutes and then running for one minute. And I did that for like 20 minutes for a week. Um, I, I think total time off, it was six weeks of no bending, lifting, twisting, nothing, no running. And then I kind of started cross training for another six weeks and then started to hit the ground running. And, um, I favor soft surfaces now to kind of take the impact off of some of my joints. And and because they're awesome. Um, and because they feel great and they're always in the best places. So there's really no reason not to. Um, so it was a very slow progression. It was, I think about this a lot actually recently because, um, I was just thinking about all, uh, like all of the PT and strength work 
that it takes to like get your body from zero to back to like competing level of like every single muscle fiber, every, everything that I would normally be able to rely on had to start over. And any, you know, anyone who has a long-term or a, you know, a several month long injury or break from running feels that as well. And I think about too, about how my like ability to dream again had to also be, be rebuilt. And I think that's because I, I mean, I think if you asked me in like November, like what are your goals for a spring track season? I'd be like, just finish one because I, I don't think I was able to, to like want to dream again because I was still grieving the losses of 2020 whether that's you know things being um from the pandemic and from from being injured too of just not being able to move and and I just think about the the correlation between yes I have to build every single muscle fiber but yes I have to return to this place of I can dream and look for forward to those and with the risk of my heart being broken again <laughs> um of like failing like I might try and do all of this work to get back into shape and ready to race and say, this is my time goal. And if I fail at that, like that's going to hurt a lot. And I think I've gotten to a place where it's like, I can set time goals and, and I'm looking forward to hopping on some track races soon. Um, and just be able to, to go for those. Um, cause like <laughs> I'm YOLO and, uh, I don't want to have to look back and say, Oh, I was too scared to go for it after, you know, you kind of had just the ability to go for it taken away. Yes. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, particularly the part about your ability to dream again, needing to be rebuilt. Um, I think that most people listening to this podcast probably are in a similar place. Um, mm-hmm. How did you approach that? And talk to me about that that process. Yeah, let's see. I had been through a similar injury with my back before, but didn't need surgery the first time. And the when I had come back from that injury, um, this was about three years ago, uh, I was very frustrating. And part of that frustration was that I was training on my own and running on my own a lot. And I think now having support of close teammates, but also just, you know, friends in the running community in Raleigh, um, really uh, just connecting and checking in on me there. Um, I, there's like, there's no way that I could have like come back from this on my own. And I feel like that's a very cliche thing of like, oh, I had all my friends helping me or like I had the support from the community. And it's like so much deeper meaning than just that it's like feeling just so especially you know during a pandemic where you really can't go anywhere anyways nothing's open but you also can't like get up and move and do anything you feel especially alone or I I felt especially alone um doing that because I couldn't go anywhere (laughs) like physically and then also like socially (laughs) um and I think the the process of just like coming back to a place of of being able to dream again, um, I think I I looked back and thought about every stage of my comeback and thinking when I was like, okay, they said only six weeks till I can start running, and then um, then they said okay, another six weeks of just cross training, and then they said this, and it never really felt like I was out of it, like out of the end, and it 
and I think I thought that because I made myself think that of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just still in this phase of comeback. I'm like, not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. Um, and it's fear, really. It's just like driven by fear of, uh, I mean, I guess of failure of that all the work that you've done is for nothing. And that's just, it just has to be a lie. <laughs> like you have to like, just convince yourself that that's a lie because if there's no positive, productive thing that can come from that mindset, if you're going to continue to train and it's, and it sounds like I'm telling you to lie to yourself, but you just have to like that part. You have to lie to that part of your brain. It's a disconnect, wrong. <laughs> right? It's, it's mm-hmm. forcing a disconnect. So I was listening to the, the some work all play podcast today and um, Megan Roche says the perfection, or maybe it was, I think it was David. Um, anyway, one of them said, uh, the perfection is in those moments that are imperfect and how you respond to them. So it's this, like, it's the piece that when it's not going well, mm-hmm. how do you respond to it? That's the only piece of anything that matters. It's not, how mm-hmm. do you respond to being on top of the world and, and, you know, winning a race or everybody knows how to respond to to you're happy it's great you're elated right great what's next mm-hmm. um it's how do you respond to when your mind is telling you this is wrong or when mm-hmm. you're when you've lost the ability to dream um and believe in yourself like okay what's next and the champions mm-hmm. are the ones who can take the what's next and turn that into fire and and it sounds like what you're suggesting is a little forcing a little bit of a uh, suspending belief to allow yourself to dream. And, um, Mm -hmm. I, so I've set my own personal goal of, of, um, running a sub two fifty marathon. And two years ago I ran a sub three marathon and that was a 20 minute PR. And so this is now a 10 minute Mm -hmm. PR and I don't really know if I can do it, but it's the ability to dream. And if I Mm -hmm. do it or if I don't, or if you race again and you hit your time goals or not, like, it's the it's the aspiration of getting better that that matters and mm-hmm. i've personally i've found a ton of inspiration from reading peter bromka's writing about like burn the boat and just like fuck it like just believe like childish yeah. childish belief like i'm going to do this mm-hmm. because i'm going to do this and mm-hmm. sort of like i said suspending the rational part with a bit of a dreamer um attitude towards it yeah I think I definitely think that's a a huge part of it um and it's I mean it's scary (laughs) like it's it's a scary thing to do um and I think once you like realize I think the other part too is that like when you're going through something like the only way to get to the other side is like to go through it and like not to go around it and not to go under it and not to ignore it and go the other way um like you have to go through it to get to the other side and I think that that was another thing that I realized where a day is where I'd be like, I don't know, like, do I want to keep doing this? And I'm like, but I want to be on the other side of this. Like, I want to be on the other side. And the only way to get to the other side is, is to go through it and feel all the things and do all the things that I need to do um, and experience to get there. Um, and that's also a scary thing because <laughs> that's like a lot of, of very many unknowns <laughs> on all aspects of like, what is it going to be to go through? And then what is it really going to be like on the other side? Is there visualization at play there for you? Yeah, I would. I think so. Like I said before, I think a lot. <laughs> so I, I definitely have like a, like I'm imagining like a, a road 
and yeah, this is like a very visual thing um, where you're just like your car is like idling on the side of the road and you just you want to be at the end of the road because I don't know, maybe there's like ice cream down there or something. <laughs> and 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 you're like, but I want the ice cream here. Like, I want to sit here and have the ice cream. But you can't. You have to go like down to the end of the road. Um, so you just got to like turn your engine on and, and chug on down there. Is visualization something you practice regularly when it comes to races or, or training or like as you said, you know what you want, where you want to be. Do you see mm-hmm. yourself doing that? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I definitely, before races, I definitely visualize at least like the ending part of a race. And I, I, tr- I practice visualizing it exactly how I want it to go um, or like the best possible outcome for me. And there's, and there's some of that where, I visualize that mostly, but I consider like other options of like, okay, well, what if someone takes it early? Like I have to visualize, like, am I going to not miss a beat and go with them? Um, and that type of thing. That's definitely something. And it's been a while since I've raced like a real race, like over a year now, but that was something that I did, um, in indoor last year, um, before some races of just visualizing, like you can't miss a beat and especially in on track, um, in the shorter distances too. Um, you lose time, precious time <laughs> very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it can be such a powerful tool. Um, mm-hmm. I, so I was training for North Face Fifty, which finishes over the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. You spend the first ninety eight percent of it in Marin on the trails, and mm-hmm. you finish over over the bridge. So I spent many many runs. I would run commute from Brookline up the river west and then mm. go east and i'd finish along the esplanade and my office was in kendall square in cambridge so i would visualize the longfellow bridge as the golden gate bridge as uh, i was yes. as i was coming down the esplanade you can see it for miles and so i would just mm-hmm. like see myself running over it and this was always at the end of the run so i was eight nine ten okay. twelve miles in and this is it kept me going it was like, I need to put in this work in order to get to be this guy that gets to run across the Golden Gate Bridge. The joke is I, mm-hmm. I sprained my ankle at mile 18 and I never saw the Golden Gate Bridge by foot, but <laughs> I drove across it. Dang. <laughs> but, Man. but to your point, um, the mind is such a powerful tool. And um, mm-hmm. I think that like the physical aspect of running is like anyone can do that. Um, and like do the work physically. But I think that whether it's, you know, putting the pedal all the way down in an 800 or, you know, kicking at the end of a marathon, that's, that's Mm -hmm. the muscle you need to sharpen most. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something too. I, like you talk about like on a run or something, I think a lot of times in practices, like you're doing a workout and you're finishing the last hard rep. Like, I'm always like, okay, what do I do? Like, this is a race. Like, I need to hold my form together. I need to, like, imagine, like, this is, a like, the most important race of my life. Because the more you practice it, the when it time comes time to do it, like, you've done the practice. Like, here you go. <laughs> um, practice makes before. progress. It's not as scary. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um, I think my last question is, uh, if you had to, if you had to speak to 21-year-old Nikki, what would you say? Uh, I would tell myself to take a chill pill. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be like, 
stop being so anxious about whatever you're anxious about and just like enjoy enjoy what you're doing right now and don't worry about what you're going to do next year, 5 years, 10 years and you're well on your way to like doing what you want. Um and there's plenty of time for it. So, I would definitely tell myself to to chill. Love it. Um awesome. Well, if we want to find you and your super chill journey, uh where can we where can we follow you? <laughs> um what am I? I'm at Nikki underscore noodles 10 uh, on Instagram. So you can follow me there. That's probably the best, the most, most active social media. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and hope to see you out there soon. Cool. Thank you. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. 